Are you stuck in a rat race of schedules, to-do lists, and other people's priorities? Maybe you can't even remember when the last time you felt fully engaged with your body, your mind, and your surroundings. If this resonates with you, then you are in the right place. I am Susan Sanders, and I'm here to teach you about sustainable productivity. Each week, I'll be coming to your ears with lessons to create a life that you can fully engage with. Some weeks will be bite-sized moments of inspiration and sharing. Other weeks will include guests and more in-depth looks at doing the right things in a way that you can maintain over time. Let's get started. Welcome to the Sustainable Productivity Podcast. I am your host, Susan Sanders. Today's episode is part of the recurring Literary Life Lately series. I'm going to talk about a few things reading related, as well as some highlights since our last literary installment in June. Even if you're a non-reader or a reluctant reader, you may find the first half of this episode to be of interest if you want to live longer. Remember that the show notes will have links to all of these books. While I do encourage you to use your local library, if you use the links in the show notes, you will be supporting the Sustainable Sue business and help fund the podcast hosting expenses. Before we get into that topic, we will start with this week's SPM. The Sustainable Productivity Moment, or SPM, is something that is making life sustainably productive. The goal is to highlight small things or adjustments that create a life we don't feel like running away from. Today's SPM is a sweet, fun movie we watched this weekend. Our oldest came home from college to do her laundry and we decided to watch TV while it was running. The movie she picked is called Happiness for Beginners and is on Netflix. The premise is Helen signs up for a wilderness survival course a year after getting divorced and she discovers through this experience that sometimes you have to get really lost in order to find yourself. And it sounds cheesy, it's part drama, part romantic comedy, but it was an easy watch for a family movie night. I mean, this was in the middle of the day, but for a family movie experience, we'll say. So check it out. I will link to it in the show notes if you're on the move and you want to remember it. It's called Happiness for Beginners on Netflix. Before we get into specific book titles, I want to talk about an article I found outlining a new study in the Journal of Social Science and Medicine that found that readers live longer than non-readers. I'll link to the study in the show notes, but wanna share some highlights here. First, a few bullet points. The researchers studied 3,600 adults over the age of 50. So it's not a small sample size. Using statistics, they adjusted for variables like age, sex, race, education, comorbidities, that's any sort of disease that, that they may have. Uh, They adjusted for self-rated health, wealth, marital status, and depression. So they really even the playing field out there. And what they found is book reading contributed to a survival advantage that was significantly greater than that observed for reading newspapers or magazines. So we're specifically talking book readers. And the overall summary is that book readers experienced a 20% reduction in the risk of mortality over the 12 years of follow-up compared to non-book readers. So that means they lived longer, 20%. I love how they stated this conclusion. Quote, benefits of reading books include a longer life in which to read them, unquote. 
Now, the researchers think that the reason for this reduction in mortality is related to the cognitive boost brought on by reading books, specifically books and not newspapers or magazines or blogs, because of the deep reading and emotional connections associated with reading the longer form. If you're a reluctant reader or are trying to encourage a reluctant reader, here are a few tips that might be helpful so you can help yourself or a loved one live longer. Tip one is to combine audio and text. One of my nieces did not connect with the Harry Potter books because of the made up words that are part of this fantasy world. She did not know how to pronounce them and after a bit, skipping these words or trying to get them into the context gets too hard for anyone. It is a magical world after all. Listening to the book while following along the text would be a good choice here because she could hear the narrator pronounce the magical fantasy words while seeing how they're spelled on the page. My daughter is a reluctant reader as well and this is sometimes a struggle in college. She has a class now that she gets two days to read 50 pages in a text each week before a quiz. She has found that she retains the information better listening to the audio while following along highlighting in her textbook. Tip two is to start where the reluctant reader is. While the study we just referenced does say books promote longevity over magazines or newspapers, right now we're just talking about breaking into reading at all. Graphic novels are a fun, shorter alternative to books. Tip three is to rely on the professionals. Lean on your bookshop owners and librarians. Let them know that you or your loved one is a reluctant reader and come armed with things that you know are liked. TV shows, events, sports, etc. These can all be launching points to help a librarian find books that could be a gateway to a reading life. The fourth and final tip is to provide a variety. This is where I cannot recommend the public library enough. Libraries have very generous borrowing limits, sometimes up to 50 books or more, definitely more than you will want to carry. Also, many libraries have done away with late fees. Don't feel embarrassed if you've racked up unpaid late fees. Go back, return the book, and borrow more. By variety, I also mean fiction versus nonfiction, print or ebook or audio, and different genres. There's sci-fi or historical romance, multiple points of view, unreliable narrators, etc. Okay, let's pivot to a discussion about books that I have read. I've read about 55 books since the last Literary Life Lately episode, and I am not going to list them all here. That would be super boring. I will link to my Goodreads account if you want to see all of these titles. Today, I'm just going to talk about a few fun, quirky reads, then a category of books that did not work for me, and I'll finish with the best book I have read in this season. First, a few books that were fun or quirky reads. Number one is Shark Heart by Emily Habeck. Here is the synopsis. For Lewis and Wren, their first year of marriage is also their last. A few weeks after their wedding, Lewis receives a rare diagnosis. He will retain most of his consciousness, memories, and intellect, but his physical body will gradually turn into a great white shark. As Lewis develops this, the features and impulses of one of the most predatory creatures in the ocean, his complicated artist's heart struggles to make peace with his unfulfilled dreams. A sweeping love story that is at once lyrical and funny 
airy and visceral, Shark Heart is an unforgettable, gorgeous novel about life's perennial questions, the fragility of memories, finding joy amidst grief, and creating a meaningful life. So, and this is Susan in my review, uh, that was the end of the synopsis. I really like this book, and especially that we just accept people gradually changing from humans into animals. I listened to this one on audio, and the narrators were excellent, the kind that enhanced the story with their voice acting not detract from it. I was really impressed that this was also a debut author. While there is not a backlist for me to go deep dive, I do plan to watch this author and read her next offering, maybe even pre-order it. I like this one that much. The second fun, quirky book is titled Just One Damn Thing After Another. The author is Jody Taylor, and this is the first in a series called The Chronicles of St. Mary's. I like this book enough to bring it to this episode, but I don't plan to follow up with more in this series. Let me tell you why. This is a mix of history and science fiction. The gist is that historians are trained for time travel and go back in time to gather data about events in history. Think 11th century London or World War I, the Cretaceous period, and the destruction of the Great Library at Alexandria. Some really significant events in history. I enjoyed the recruiting and training bits and also the high-level history lesson and the idea of traveling back. I thought that was a really neat premise. But then they took it too far for me, and I got lost in the details of each historical time period and all the science that we consider might go into time travel. I like the surface level of it, though, and it was definitely a departure from the modern fiction that I usually consume. And I did read this one on Kindle. The third book I want to tell you about is one I got from a TV show. I think it's interesting to see what books showrunners will put in the hands of characters in a TV show. Sometimes I pick books especially because a character was reading it, and this was one of those times. The TV show is The Bear on Hulu, and I'm specifically talking about Season 2, Episode 7. The book is by Will Guidara, and it's titled Unreasonable Hospitality. The Remarkable Power of Giving People More Than They Expect. Although I'm not a chef and I have no interest in the food prep part of chefness, I love the operational side. Guadara talked about that in this pseudo-memoir. It doesn't, it doesn't go too far into his life. It's more about the um, restaurant he owned. The synopsis describes the radical reinvention, a true partnership between the kitchen and the dining room, and memorable, over-the-top, bespoke hospitality is what he calls it. Here are a few examples of that bespoke hospitality. They surprised a family who had never seen snow with magical sledding trip in Central Park after their dinner. Or another time they filled a private dining room with sand complete with Mai Tais and beach chairs to console a couple with a canceled vacation. And his hospitality extended beyond those dining at the restaurant to his own team. They learned to deliver praise and criticism with intention, why the answer to some of the most pernicious business dilemmas is to give more, not less. The magic that can happen when a busser starts thinking like an owner. And I love that idea of we are all part of the business. I also love the transformation it had on Richie in the TV show. 
I also think about the overall experience of things. In the book, it's about the dining experience, but how does that translate into me being a writer and a podcaster? Is there an easier way to deliver the content? Can I go above and beyond with the discounts to books for book episodes maybe? Or would offering written instructions for downloading and rating podcasts help my audience? What about office hours to drop in for support with the technical stuff? These are just a few things that ran around in my head as I read this one. Today's Literary Life Lately episode is sponsored by the Sustainable Sioux Bookmobile. This is an email that will be sent to you whenever I finish a five-star read. If you like the books I do, this will be a quick, easy, free way to stock up on sure thing reads that you can go purchase or borrow. If we are bookish opposites, then consider this feature a time saver for you as you will know exactly which books to skip right over. Subscribe today for free at sustainablesue.com bookmobile. Now onto a few books that did not land well for me. I want to go on record to say that classics are just not for me. I want to be the smarty McSmartpants that can read these books, understand them, talk smartly about them, but I just am not that person. One classic I tried to read this summer is The Prophet by Khalil Gibran. I found a copy of this book at my dad's house when I was there over the 4th of July holiday, took it home with me, and did not make it past page five. (laughs) Another classic that isn't landing is just a massive doorstop of a book, and it's War and Peace. I've been reading War and Peace as a daily reading project since January 1st of 2023, and the deal is by reading one chapter a day, it can be finished in a year. I want to say there's like 330 or 340 chapters in it. But around mid-May, I think it was, I just started doing two chapters a day just to speed it up a little bit. And now here in September, I'm doing three chapters a day whenever possible. I just want to be done with this. I would quit, but I'm about 1,300 pages in, and I only have maybe 40-ish days of reading left until I get to the end. So, you know, I'm so far in, I just want to get it done at this point. I know we should never say never, but seriously, never again will I take on a should of a project, especially a reading project. Um, you know, if it's not landing with me, I just want to quit. And, you know, I swear the women in this book, all they do is weep. And the only thing the men do are fight. It's, it's war and peace, right? I guess I should have known that going in. Um, to wrap up this episode of Literary Life Lately, I want to share the best book I've read this season. So it, it's a hard one. I will say that. So, and I want to end on a positive note with a good book I read, but it is not necessarily a positive vibe. It's a gutting memoir about the integration of Central High School in Little Rock, Arkansas. The title is Warriors Don't Cry, the searing memoir of the battle to integrate Little Rock's Central High by Melba Patio Beals. And Miss Beals was one of the Little Rock Nine. She was one of the students. Here is the book summary from Goodreads. The landmark 1954 Supreme Court ruling, Brown versus the Board of Education, brought the promise of integration to Little Rock, Arkansas. 
but it was hard won for the nine black teenagers chosen to integrate Central High School in 1957. They ran a gauntlet flanked by a rampaging mob and a heavily armed Arkansas National Guard, opposition so intense that soldiers from the elite 101st Airborne Division were called in to restore order. For Melba Beals and her eight friends, those steps marked their transformation into reluctant warriors on a battlefield that helped shape the civil rights movement. Now, I, I had I knew some of this history. I mean, we learn about the civil rights movement, Brown versus the Board of Education, integration and integration of schools. But this book is the next level. It is from the author's diaries, from her mother's diaries, and also newspaper clippings from the time. So it's a first person accounting through and through. And if you think this book is hard to read because of the violence against the children, imagine being a 14 or 15 year old child and withstanding the wrath of these grownups. You know, we're not just talking about, oh, they got in trouble and they got scolded because they broke the rules. We're talking about full grown men swinging a two by four at the head of a child because she was going to school. Then there's just how the other children acted, the white kids, how they acted. These are high school students who punched, spit on, stabbed, spilled on, mentally abused the nine kids integrating into Central High. These nine children against over 2,000 white kids. And these nine kids were systematically separated from each other and literally mentally, emotionally, and physically tortured in school. You know, we think of school as a place where they can go to be protected, and this is where they were tortured. And, you know, I've got two things to say about this. Number one, kids learn this from somewhere. Kids are taught this. These white kids learned this at home. And number two, kids don't organize to this level of sophistication. It was a systematic torturing of these young black kids. And again, the adults, they're the ones who actively work to, you know, not just dissuade these nine kids who wanted to go to this school. They wanted to kill them. Um, you know, I'm not gonna lie, this is a tough read. And if you think this is history, you're sadly mistaken. The systemic abuse and murder of marginalized population continues today. And I think it is our responsibility to understand where we came from, to know how we got here and why this continues on today. So I highly encourage you to, to read this. Don't look away. Don't blink. Okay, so let's start to wrap up here today. If you do pick up any of these books mentioned in the episode, even if it's the classics, you know, the ones I didn't like, come tell me what you think. Just reply to the show notes for this episode. Until we meet next week, remember to create results in a way that you can sustain and that are productive for you. Thank you and read on. You have just listened to the Sustainable Productivity Podcast. If you liked what you heard, you might like what you read. Come to SustainableSue.com to read more and subscribe to have the weekly message sent to your inbox. You can also get show notes, including links to things discussed in the episode there, sustainablesue.com. Consider sharing this episode with a friend. The more you share the message about sustainable productivity, the more we can create a world where we are all more engaged in our lives. Keep going, friends. As Devin Durant says, small efforts sustained over time can produce significant results. Have a good week.